divinely inspired book. It's only five chapters long, but it packs a great big punch. It's very quotable. You'll see it's very challenging. Uh, there's not much, well, there's no gray. It, it's black and it's white. And I've noticed over the years I have highlighted much of it. Well, the title of, of the message this morning, it's just uh, four words long. Walk in the light. And if you're a true believer, that's what you do. You are walking in the light. You have been turned from the from the darkness to the light. You've been turned from uh, the kingdom and dominion of, of Satan and sin to the kingdom of God. And what we'll be doing this morning is um, just examining what, what does it mean to be a true repenter? What does a true repenter look like? What's an authentic Christian look like? And what are some distinguishing marks of a true believer? And towards the end of this message, I'll give you a little test uh, from from first John and this is a test that you have to pass in order to go to heaven well, let's pray father we uh, we pray a simple prayer uh, please help us to walk in the light help us to grow in our capacity to love to grow in our sanctification, to grow in our Christ-likeness. And if there's anyone here uh, still lost, uh, false convert, uh, not truly saved, bring them, I pray, into the glorious light. Amen. Well, I have recently uh, been reading the book of 1 John numerous times, and again, I've been challenged, I've been encouraged, it's a fascinating uh, little book, and, and John does not uh, mess around. He is dealing with serious false teachings. He, he's dealing with serious heresy, and he's fighting for the souls of men and women. And though th this is a letter, it doesn't really, it doesn't feel like a letter. There's no opening, there's no introduction, there's no greeting like... Paul would, would do. John doesn't identify himself, and he, he's very dogmatic. He, he just gets right to it. And sometimes we have to be dogmatic. We have to tell people things sometimes that they don't want to hear. We sometimes have to tell people they are wrong. And the, the truth is, good advice is not always wanted and, and appreciated. And we will sometimes be persecuted uh, for speaking this truth. But I remind you what the Bible says, beware if everyone speaks well of you. And if everyone does speak well of you, something is probably a little bit wrong, that you're not getting any pushback or persecution. Well, John tells us numerous times why he is writing his epistle. One reason is found early on, in the chapter, uh, chapter one, that your joy may be made full, that your joy may be complete. John wants us, he wants his fellow believers to have true joy. And true joy is found only in, in Christ. Now, some of you know we, we do these outreaches, go to 
ISU um, every Thursday night, and the Lord has really uh, been blessing uh, that, that ministry. But I, I tell those students, when they graduate and they move on in life, they're going to have one of two problems. One is they won't get all the things they want out of life. They won't end up with the spouse they want, maybe the kids that they, they wanted. They won't end up with the job, the salary, the house. They, they won't get those things. And then the other problem will be they will get those things. They will live the American dream. And it will not satisfy them. They will remain empty. Maybe some temporary happiness, but that true True joy, that abiding joy, they'll, they'll never experience it. And the reason being is we were not made for, for things, for stuff. We were made by God. We were made for God. We were made in the image of God. And anything else is like drinking salt water. So I'll, I'll tell those students, stop drinking the muddy water of sin. It is only poison. It's going to ruin you. It's going to destroy you. Come to the living water. Come to the fountain of life. Come to Jesus Christ. And Josh Young and I were talking just a few minutes ago. Um, we were talking a little bit about evangelism. And uh, this un the universities, they don't have anything um, that these students really need. Um, of course, they can offer some practical things, but, but uh, they, they, need, they need Christ. And they need to hear about the Lord Jesus. Well, John, he gives another reason for writing this letter in the beginning of, of chapter 2 that you might not sin. Now, there's two major themes early on in this, this uh, wonderful book. The first one is, is joy. Talked about that a little bit. Joy is, is so important. Uh, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's one of the first fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, uh, patience. So John wants our joy uh, to be full and to, to be complete. And then the second theme, I'll hit it pretty hard. John hits it very hard. Second theme, holiness and obedience. Basically, if we claim to know God yet walk in the darkness or in a lifestyle of sin, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. Now towards the end of chapter 2, John gives yet another reason for writing uh, this letter. There's these enemies out there, enemies of the truth. They've infiltrated uh, the, the, the church. He says this, he says it a couple times in this, this letter. There are those trying to lead you astray. So John, John is all about truth. He's all about refuting lies. He's all about protecting the flock. He's about the foundational truths of the, the Christian faith. And those truths are being under attack. So again, John He's not messing around. You, you, in order to really get the flavor of this book, you, you have to have some background. You have to understand what's going on in this uh, setting, in this time. Well, John wrote this letter during a time when false teaching had really 
begun to infect the church. Do you know who it was? It was the Gnostics, Gnosticism. It was that disease that, that just spread uh, through the church uh, like a plague, and it caused such damage uh, for many years, actually uh, centuries uh, to come. And, and John saw the ugly seeds of that heresy. He saw that it was starting to grow. These, uh, I call them nasty Gnostics, they were prideful. Uh, they believed they had special knowledge, that they were the enlightened ones. They um, emphasized this deeper thinking, deeper knowledge. And get this, they taught that sin didn't really matter. That sin was not that big of a deal. That's just the physical. Sin's just the physical. That doesn't matter. What really matters, it's the spiritual. How deceptive. Well, they denied the virgin birth. They denied that Jesus came in the flesh. That's physical. They denied a lot of aspects of the cross, the, you know, death and things. Those things are, are physical. They denied uh, the resurrection. So major attacks against the foundational uh, truths. And, and believe it or not, neo-Gnosticism is still alive and well uh, today. So John's passionately warning his readers, whom he loves, he's saying, watch out, beware, watch out for these deceptive, deceitful, seductive, uh, seducers. Um, they'll destroy you. They will destroy your soul. And how bad it is, think about this, for somebody to, to hurt another person for no reason physically, that's bad. How much worse to destroy somebody's soul, never dying soul. Well, we have these false teachers. They deny the seriousness of sin. And John warns this. It's for all of us. John strongly warns, if you walk in darkness as a pattern of life, no matter how much you claim to be a believer, no matter what these false teachers are telling you, you deceive yourself and you are not a true Christian. Well, think about how seductive uh, the, these, these lies were that they were teaching, how tempting they would be to us, th these false teachings, that you can have Christ, you can have heaven, you can have the world, and you can still have your sin. And believe it, believe me, there are many peddlers of cheap grace out there uh, today. And this is 2,000 years later, I'm sad to say, as a false convert, I was one of those peddlers of cheap grace. And the Lord saved me. But true believers practice righteousness. Their lifestyle is set in the direction of righteousness. Now, we, we all know. We know it, it's not a perfect righteousness. John makes it clear, if we claim to be without sin, the truth is not in us. So I'm not talking about sinless perfection in any way. We know that sanctification is, is a process. We have ups and downs. We, we know that. The reality is, as, as babies cry and fish fly, and, or uh, birds fly, fish swim, um, little J.C. Ryle, part of his quote, uh, we sin. Um, fish uh, swim, we, we sin. And we sin worse than we know. 
Uh, we sin more than we know, and we have to continually uh, confess our, our sin till the day we die. Well, again, John is, is very black and white. He's known for contrasts. It, it's, it's light versus darkness. It's love versus hate. It's above and, and below. It's children of God and, and children of the devil. I heard a, a pastor say here recently, one human race with the children of God, children of the devil, there's one human race, two families. We're either a child of God or a child of the devil, and we are born child, children of the devil. And we must be turned. We must be born again and, and converted. Well, John is very simple and straightforward. He says this, He who does what is right is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. And, and Jesus was like this too. Think about it. Unless you repent, unless you repent, you will perish. It's that either or, either this or that. Repent or you will perish. And these false teachers I'm telling you about, they're like, there's no need to repent. There's no need to fight the flesh. And they were liars. Repentance is mentioned I believe 60 times in the New Testament. So we've got to get this repentance thing. We've got to get it right. Well, let's briefly look at the contrast between true repentance and false repentance. <clears throat> true repentance brings change. False repentance, no, no real change. True repentance equals remorse, godly sorrow. God against you and you alone have I sinned. False repentance brings worldly sorrow. There's sorrow there, but really just sorry I got caught. True repenters, they own their sin. I've heard Pastor Daniel say that many times. They own their sin. They stop making excuses. False repenters, they end up justifying their sin and they make excuses for their sin. True repenters will cut off and gouge out. Remember those words Christ said? Um, false repenters, they continue to habitually repeat the same sin. And they like to hang out with sinners. They like to hang out with people who have the same pattern of sin that they have because it makes them feel more comfortable. So basically, the lost person continues to walk in darkness because they have a darkened mind and they have a heart of stone. Will mentioned that earlier. And we, we uh, throw truth at them. And when we're preaching, we, we throw gospel truth at them. Their heart is hard. It bounces off their hard heart like a ball uh, against a wall. And those people, they, they will not absorb the truth they just continue uh, living for their, their idols. Well, here's a heart check, gut-wrenching kind of question. I think I've asked it many years ago in another sermon, if I remember quite how to word this, but heart check question. If you could get away with sin, some, maybe some sexual um, affair, some gross sin like that, 
you could get away with it and nobody would ever know about it, would you do it? I sure hope not. Marla and I have been talking about this Latin term, quorum Deo. What's that mean? We're living in the presence of God, the face of God. God is with us all the time, no matter where we go, hotel room, by yourself, God is there. And we need to live like that, in the presence of God, that we know he's with us, sees everything. Well, true believers acknowledge sin. True believers confess their sin. They own their sin, and they strive to turn from it. And then here's that, the final real repentance. You loathe it. You hate your sin, and you want to break it off. Well, perhaps the predominant reason for this letter, find it in, a lot of you can quote this as I say it, 1 John 5.13, I write these things that you might know that you have eternal life. How important that is, to know you have eternal life. The Gospel of John was written that you might believe. That's what he tells us. And then 1 John is written that you might know you believe. A little nuance there. So John wants to help us determine, am I a genuine, true Christian? And that's kind of what I'm trying to do too. Now I know we, we, we're in a church here, the gospel's preached powerfully by Pastor Daniel. Um, that tends to drive those false converts away. Um, but even if you're not a false convert, you're going to be around a lot. We need to know um, how to deal with them and some signs of it. Well, John's all about this, this wonderful thing, assurance of salvation, but he wants to make sure it's true assurance and not a false assurance. He wants us to be confident, to have a confident faith, but not a superficial faith, a counterfeit faith. I had that for a long time. And I want you uh, to have that true assurance as well. And some good questions we can ask ourselves. We don't stay in this place, but it, it's good to examine ourselves sometimes. To ask ourselves, am I a true believer? Am I the real deal? Or am I a, a hypocrite? Am I a, a, a pretender? And certainly think about it. Don't you want to know before it's too late? Before you stand in the judgment and stand before God, now is the time to examine these things. Now, I told you I'd give you a test, but uh, just a few more minutes and we'll, we'll get into that test. But before we do, just a little bit more about this amazing uh, man of faith, the Apostle John. You know what apostle means? It, it just means sent out one. So John, he's the author of this book. He was the beloved disciple. He's the same John that I mentioned that wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 2 John, 3 John. He wrote the book of Revelation. He, I think it was about 20% of the New Testament was written by, by John. Paul, just a little bit less than that. And then Luke, uh, just a little bit less than, than uh, Paul. But John was one of Christ's closest friends, you know that. Um, 
also with, with uh, Peter and, and with James. Think about this. He would have undoubtedly talked to Jesus um, so many times. He would have walked with them. Talk about walking the light. He literally was walking with the light. He would have ate with Jesus. He would have prayed with him. Think of this. He would have undoubtedly sang uh, with Jesus. And, and he, he saw the best and he saw uh, the very worst. He, he would have seen those amazing miracles. And just imagine he would have seen the crucifixion up close. Well, he spent three years with the Lord. And by now, at, at the time of this writing, he, he is an older man, an elderly man. And he, he'd been a follower of Christ since he was a very young man. And at one time, remember John, he was known as what? One of the sons of thunder. He was a son of thunder. And now, by the time writing this, this book, he had been very humbled and uh, much tempered uh, by the Lord. So John, he was now the sole survivor. One commentator said he was the last man standing among the apostles. John was the youngest when he was called out of all the disciples, and now he's the oldest living and the last to die. So John, he, he's now, he's like that elder statesman. He very much had this, this sense of authority about him. He's very pastoral. He, he's like a father. And actually, if you think about it, he, he's more like a grandfather by the time uh, he, he wrote this. But he's concerned for his children, his, his grandchildren. He used these endearing terms. You'll see that in reading the, uh, this book. He says, my dear children, or my little children. He uses this a lot, my beloved. Though John, he says these hard things, he's the apostle of loved. He loved God, he loved the church, he loved those in it, and we need to emulate this man. We need to emulate John. There's a story about him, it's very credible, passed down a long time, and I believe it's true. Of course, John is very frail, very old. They would take him and they would carry him to the various churches. He couldn't even hardly stand up, they, they said. They'd bring him, present him in front of the church, and all he would do, he would say, love one another. That's all he would say. And that's what we need to do. We need to love one another. This little book, it mentions love, I believe it's 45 times. There's only one big book that mentions love more than this book. It's the book of Psalms. Think about that. Psalms is 150 chapters long. So uh, um, really, this is the, the book of love. Uh, and and it, did I say it's agape love? When he, when he mentions love, he's talking about that great love, agape love. Uh, let, let me give you just a little example of, of that. This is uh, 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Just a, few, just a few chapters, or verses here. You know, hear this tenderness. He starts out, beloved. Chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, 
What word are we listening for? Love. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Well, you, you get the point. The apostle of, of love. Well, this is a good time. I, I want to begin that, the test that I told you about. Um, and remember, you got to pass this test. We've all taken a lot of tests and maybe failed some tests. You got to pass this one. It's a four part test. I made up this acronym. It just seemed to fit, hit me maybe yesterday, the day before. The LAMB test L A M B. And you, you ought to be able to remember from this acronym what, what the test is in 1 John. The LAMB test, there's four parts to it. The love test, the L. The assurance test, the A. The moral test is the M. And the B is the believing test, the lamb test. So we'll start with the love test. First of all, I'll say this. Everybody loves something. Everybody loves. That's not the issue. It's just the lost people in the world. When we were lost, what did we love? We loved ourselves. We love sin, and we love uh, the world. So again, John's so blunt. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. He goes on to say, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. So if you hate your brother... He says it here, you're like Cain. You're like a murderer. Well, the positive, this is good. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. This is how we know we pass from death to life. We love the brethren. And this love, it, it's not just with words. He tells us that. It is with actions. So love, love is a decision. Love is not squishy and sappy and sentimental it's a love that that tells the truth even the hard truths it's a love that wants the best for others wants them to be treated well wants others to be protected john is wanting to protect the flock he wants uh, this kind of love wants to serve others especially uh, the brethren our, our brothers and sisters. And what's the pinnacle of love? It's that willingness to lay down your life. And that's just what Jesus did. He loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. Now, Marla and I, we were at Walmart yesterday, and, and Marla uh, reminded me as we were talking, having these good conversations about. Uh, the Lord, that, that we're never more like God 
than when we're loving Jesus. Thought that was good. Well, the second part of the test, I hope you pass the love test. Do you love the brethren? The second part is the assurance test. I won't uh, spend a lot of time on, on this, but the true believer has a confidence in approaching God. In other words, we, we, we pray. We pray to God. We know we can go to our Father. We have that kind of relationship with God. He, we see Him as our, our Father. And I didn't really get this until... I mean, I'm reading this over and over and over. And that's a good thing to do. Really take a book of the Bible and just read it over and over. And I've read it so many times over the years, but just here to prepare, read it a lot of times. And uh, do you know one of the um, ways we can know we're, we're saved? It, it's right there in 1 John 5, 14, and 1 John 3, 21. You experience answer to prayer. Now, of course, sometimes we get the no, sometimes we get the wait, but you will know, boy, there are times the Lord answered my prayer. My Father answered my prayer. Well, with this assurance test, I'll uh, refer you again, um, not again, but to Romans 8.16. It says this, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So I ask you, does the Spirit testify to you that you are a children of God? This is an amazing truth. Where is the Spirit? The Spirit, if you're a Christian, dwells within us. That is amazing. So the Spirit should be testifying to you that, that you are a child of God. All right, well, stick with me. Now we're, we're starting to wrap up. Again, I want to emphasize how important this is. Um, one of Satan's, the devil's most cruel, insidious acts that he can do, one of his most deceptive lies, is to convince lost people they, they're saved. And the truth is, there are masses and masses of religious people in hell right now and many that will will be going to hell so this is so important we're reminded how many find it is it many that find it no few there be that find it so if you are a true believer you're on the narrow the narrow road so that that third part of the test we had the love test assurance test now the moral and John is very, very clear. One of the major proofs that you know God and love God is that you're obedient. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commandments. Paul Washer said this, maybe some of you have heard it. If you have a new relationship with God, you have a new relationship with sin. If, if you have a new relationship with God. If you've been born again, you definitely have a new relationship uh, with, with sin. So a, a tough question. Are you living in habitual sin as a pattern of life? Or is your life basically patterns here, pattern, lifestyle? 
Is your life basically one of righteousness? Again, I, I was a false convert for many years. I had this experience. I was, I was awakened to the fact Jesus is God. I had this kind of amazing thing happen. Won't go into it, but man, I realized Jesus is God. And he died on the cross. And I believed this. I believed in grace. I believed, man, we are saved by grace. I, I really believed a lot of things. And I was reading my Bible. I was actually running a, a Christian outreach um, for a long time. And uh, th this awakening happened early in college. But guess what was missing? I had not truly repented. I remember going back to school after this experience. I'm, I start wearing a big cross. I start telling everybody I'm a Christian. Well, I was not living like a Christian, a true Christian. And, and maybe I cleaned things up a bit more and more and more, but I, I had not truly repented. And when that happened, I heard a message on repentance. And it's like, wow, I've never truly Repented, and when I, when that happened, that gift was was granted to me. I now, man, I've got power now over sin. Those things I could not stop doing. Now there's a power there over that sin, and I, I know we, we still struggle, but I could feel it, man. I can say no. I'm not a slave to that sin any longer. And has that happened uh, to you? Now I'm not sure where I got this. Um, wrote it down a long time ago. You guys know we do a lot of open-air preaching, and, and I write little things, notes down sometimes. I wrote this down, and it, it just says at the top where I wrote it, it says, you are probably a false convert if. And this makes sense uh, to me. You are probably a false convert if. Probably if. One, you think you're a good person. Two, you call Jesus Lord, but don't do what he says. Three, you're not committed to a local church. Four, when confronted with sin, how many times have we heard this, Josh? When confronted with sin, the response is, don't judge. Thou shalt not judge. I used to do, use that as a false convert. You can't judge his salvation as he's doing this and this and this. And it's like just um, blinded, blind. You are probably a false convert if you are sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or fiance, etc. Six, you're probably a false convert if you condone what God hates, such as abortion homosexuality, the LGBTQI plus stuff. You're probably a false convert if you're a fornicator, an adulterer, a blasphemer, a liar, an idolater, a slanderer. You get the point there. Now, there's these lists. In, I think it's Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, Revelation, I can't remember, 20, 21. You don't want to be on, on those lists as a, as a pattern. Of, of your life. Okay, we're, we're getting to point four of the test. The B, L-A-M-B, the believing test. Do you believe the essentials of the faith? 
Do you believe in the deity of Christ, salvation by grace alone, the resurrection, and the, the true gospel? And I'll add this. I believed all those things. Marla, as a false convert, believed all those things. But something was not joined with our superficial faith. True repentance was not joined with, with faith. So if, you're, if, you, if you believe those things, praise God. The demons believe those things too. They've not repented. Have you uh, truly repented? Do you believe the true gospel that has been preached here for so many years? All right, well, let, let's uh, wrap up. Let's... let's uh, I'll, I'll try to put this together. I didn't spend much time on this closing here, but um, well, I'll say this. First John is a jewel of a book. There is so much truth in it. I encourage you to read it. Don't fly through it. Read it. Some final questions, just putting all these test questions together. Are you loving Jesus? Are you believing in the, the true Jesus? Not the, the Jesus that Jehovah's Witnesses believe in, the Mormons believe in, the Gnostics believe in, what not, New Agers believe in. Do you believe in the true Jesus of the Bible? Are you confessing your sins? Do you, do you pray? Are you obeying the Bible? Of course not perfectly, but are you obeying the Bible? Are you rejecting this fallen world, not living for money and power and in sinful vices? Uh, I think John mentions the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Are you, are you living for those kind of things? Remember, do you love the brethren? And do you have a measure of confidence uh, that you know God based on the fact that you've been truly born again. You have a new life in Christ. Really, that, this, John mentions born, born a whole bunch of times in here and abiding, and we need to abide. But th this book, it's all about the new birth. It's all about the necessity of the new birth. Have you been born again? Now, we're not discounting struggles and and uh, temptations, we all go through those. It's the three steps. I think Paul Washer mentioned that, three steps up, two steps back. We, we, we know. I mean, life is hard. But John mentions here, I, I was going to read these verses, but um, I think it's in, in chapter 2. We're overcomers. We have overcome the evil one. He mentions that a couple of times. You've overcome the evil one. Now, we're harassed by the evil one. No doubt, but we overcome and we'll persevere. Guys, there's dangerous times. I wasn't going to say this, but there's dangerous times in the Christian life. It's when you're young. It's when, when your life is just going in middle age and it's dangerous when you're old. Whether you get the point, it's dangerous. It's dangerous every point of life. But I'm starting to realize, Marlon and I have been talking about this, it's really dangerous when you, when you start getting older. Do you know a lot of people, you thought, man, I thought that person was a Christian. And they didn't persevere. Now, true Christians will finish the race. The Spirit of God's in them. They have, we can have security. 
But it's a dangerous time when you get older. There's hard things that happen. And I've seen people not finish when you, it's just shocking. So yeah, a lot of dangers for young people, but it's dangerous when we're older. We've got to stay strong. We're strong in the word and in, in the faith. And you gotta keep reading the Bible, coming to church, fellowshipping, praying, all those essential things. Well, hit you with a lot, but ask yourself, did, did you pass the test? And if you pass the test, praise God. Hallelujah. And if you failed the test, get right with God today. Get right with God today. Don't mess around. It's too serious and important. I heard somebody say something like this. Not exactly, but one today is worth a, a thousand tomorrows. Tomorrow really never comes. If you think about that, it's always tomorrow. So that's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. We have no guarantee uh, of, of another day. Let's all in this place be right with God, trusting Christ truly. Let's pray. Lord, we... We love your word. We love your, the Bible. We love your truths. We love even these hard truths. Lord, help us all to repent, to turn from idols. Help us to love one another. If there's anyone not truly born again, not truly surrendered to you, may they do so today. Amen.